Welcome to Technically Spiritual, a podcast that explores how technology impacts the way we think, feel, and act. We look to both ancient wisdom and psychology to understand how to nurture our minds, bodies, and souls today. We strive to integrate our spiritual selves into our digital world to create peace in our minds and on our planet. I'm your host, Prayer Namanchanda. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. I interviewed Laura Snyderman, and we had an amazing conversation about meditation, neuroscience, enoughness, empowerment, and so much more. I learned a lot from Laura, and I'm excited to share it with you. A little bit about Laura. She holds a bachelor's in humanistic psychology from McGill University. Laura is an expert in the fields of wisdom sharing and transformative technology. She's well known for public speaking at popular wellness and technology conferences globally, and she's devoted her life to educating individuals and organizations on the neuroscience of contemplative practices and the role that technology can play in enhancing well-being. Without further ado, here's the interview with Laura. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Perna. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and some of the work that you do? Absolutely. A few of the things that I've sort of tapped into in the last 30 years of my life include founding my own company called The Get Together, which is an organization that celebrates and elevates women's voices through online and in-person platforms as well as also acting as the head of educational programming and a major accounts executive for one of Toronto, Canada's most exciting transformative technology companies. They are the creators of a brain sensing meditation headband and application. And lastly, at this moment, I'm also acting as a consultant to a really fascinating organization called the World Happiness Festival. That's actually the largest uh, international gathering both online and in person, that celebrates happiness and well-being worldwide. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with Interaxon and what does that mean, brain-sensing technologies? Absolutely, Prerna. So brain-sensing technologies essentially are a plethora of different things, but with Interaxon, they actually created the first ever consumer product that is a hospital-grade EEG, so electroencephalogram. You may or may not have heard of that, but essentially an, um, an EEG device has for, you know, hundreds of years been used in hospitals to take a look at what is going on in your brain. Uh, and Interaxon successfully was able to convert this $85,000 machine into a tiny little wearable headband that can read your brain activity in real time. And they actually translate that brain activity through an app that they've created to give you real-time feedback while you're meditating to let you know whether or not you are meditating correctly. Wow. Anybody can just buy this headband, put it on their heads, meditate, and then it's connected to the app and you can see sort of your feedback? Yeah, so they've created an algorithm 
based on a plethora of research that they've done looking at, you know, the brains of meditators uh, in studies around the world. And essentially, they give you feedback on whether your mind is actively thinking, distracted, or whether you're actually able to bring your mind into a state of focus and calm. I would love to know that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So what do you what do you make of, you know, doing meditation right? Or if we were to meditate optimally, if you will, what actually happens in the brain? Wonderful question. Uh, first, I'd love to comment on, you know, the, the notion of right and wrong. I think it's really important to, first of all, acknowledge that the act of, you know, even considering taking some time to sit with yourself, to notice what's going on in your mind, and trying to find, you know, some quiet moments is, is right. <laughs> so I don't think that people necessarily need a technology to tell them um, whether or not they're doing it right. However, what I do think is really beneficial about utilizing technologies like Muse is that it speeds up the process of awareness. You didn't mention the company's name as Muse. What is that exactly is it called? Oh, it's called Interaxon, but people know it as Muse. Like essentially the company's Interaxon, but they create Muse. So you can call it either. So essentially what generally happens for most people when they're trying to practice, in this case, uh, the type of meditation that Muse promotes, which is focused attention meditation, is that you generally find yourself sitting there and you'll realize after a few minutes that you've actually been thinking about, let's say, your grocery list for five minutes without even realizing that your mind has been wandering. So what's fascinating about a product like Muse is that while you're meditating, you're actually listening to a soundscape, for example, the sounds of the ocean. And whenever your mind starts to wander, the second it starts to wander, the sound environment will change, which actually indicates to you that you've begun thinking rather than focusing on your anchor, which for Muse would be the breath. So it's just a really nice way. Uh, and from a neuroscience perspective, it's a really efficient way to help you more quickly regain focus when your mind wanders. Thank you so much for clarifying that. I agree as well. I'm a meditation teacher and I tell my students, like, just the fact that you are here is enough. I, I totally can see, you know, especially people in a Western culture that are results obsessed might get a little bit like, oh, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? I like that you described that the technology can just gently remind you that you've wandered off and brings you back through the, the elevated sound. That's really incredible. I love that. I yeah. definitely want to try this out for myself. Have you, have you used it and what kind of experience have you had personally with it? Yes, absolutely. I actually used it almost every day for about three years. And honestly, I personally, you know, I came from quite a deep background in meditation. Also, while I was at Interaxon as the head of educational programming, I had the benefit of, you know, participating in numerous week-long retreats and in different meditation techniques. And I will say that I noticed an immense shift in my ability to not only during my meditation practice, but during my everyday life, when I believe the practice really starts, I just noticed that after, you know, months of practicing with Muse, I just much more quickly was able to recognize when my thoughts started spiraling off. And rather than, you know, continuing on in the stories that I would be creating in my mind, I was able to just stop and notice and say, 
I'm thinking, or that's a thought, or that's an emotion, and to be able to just let it go and come back to my breath. So I would say, you know, one place where I really noticed a, a difference was in meetings. When I would slowly, after an hour meeting, begin to be wandering off and not paying attention, I really was much more able to acknowledge that I was wandering and, and to return to the present moment, which has like thoroughly helped me in every aspect of my life. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's the whole point, right? I mean, the whole point is to be able to wake up to the present moment wherever you are, not just while you're sitting there with your eyes closed in a quiet, serene environment, but when you're in a noisy area or in a meeting that you might not want to be at anymore and just bring yourself back over and over. I really appreciate you talking about your experience with that because I think it helps contextualize that for people. Yes. Um, one of the things you actually brought up earlier that I sort of skipped over, but I would really love to talk about because I think it's very important, is how you know transformative technologies like Muse create transformation in individuals. I think it is important to clarify that I am specifically speaking about focused attention meditation. Uh, which essentially is a Buddhist practice that involves sustaining your attention, like your selective attention moment by moment on a chosen object. So in the case of Muse and in the case of many practices, that means focusing on the breath, but it can also mean focusing on another anchor, which could be, for example, the feeling of sitting on the ground, so a physical anchor. But in this case, um, I'm speaking about the breath. And what some of these research studies have shown is that when you practice meditation, focused attention meditation consistently, it has unbelievable impacts on the brain. For example, it thickens the prefrontal cortex, which is specifically related to higher order processing and is the attentional control center. And the more that you actually practice the act of noticing that you've wandered and coming back to the present moment by focusing on the breath, you're actually strengthening neural pathways in the brain. And in this case, those neural pathways are residing in the prefrontal cortex. So you're strengthening the control center of your attention in the brain. And the incredible thing is that naturally, this actually shrinks over time. So if you're not practicing things like meditation, naturally, your attentional control center is going to get smaller and smaller. And so you're going to have less and less ability to be present. So it's a really, really wonderful thing to realize that now that we, you know, now that we know about neuroplasticity, that you can actually practice something even just 10 minutes a day that can strengthen and sustain your brain and your prefrontal cortex. And another, another area of the brain that, you know, meditation has been shown to really help with is the amygdala. This is your fight or flight response center. So essentially anytime that you have an external stressor, which we often do in our lives, that can include things like the buzzing of a notification on your phone. This is the part of your brain, the amygdala is the part of your brain that is immediately responding to these external stresses. And what meditation helps to do is it actually helps to reduce the activity happening in the amygdala so that when you have a stressor, you naturally are able to respond rather than immediately react to that stressor, which from a physiological and emotional standpoint means that you will feel less stress in the body when a stressor occurs in your life. And I'll just say one more that I think is really, really important. When you practice meditation, it also impacts the temporal parietal junction 
which is the seat of your ability to have perspective. It's where your empathy derives from, as well as your sense of compassion. So essentially, meditation helps to strengthen and enlarge the temporal parietal junction, which essentially allows you in your day-to-day life to experience more compassion, to have more empathy for people, and to be able to take a broader perspective on situations and circumstances that occur in your life. Thank you. I think that that's really the higher goal. That's how we start to elevate our planet. That's how we start to help each other and heal each other as well. Can you talk a little bit about transformative technologies? I know that you've had some experience speaking on this topic. So how would you describe transformative technologies? For me, transformative technology are, yeah, technologies that are are really designed to enhance well-being. So that can be, in this case, you know, well-being of, of the mind, well-being of the body, or, you know, one, another example that I recently came across is a technology called, you know, Hopin. And it's a, it's a new online events platform that's incredibly interactive and, and allows you to really feel like you're fostering meaningful, meaningful connections with people online. And I would say that that is also a form of transformative technology. So I think it's really about uniting, you know, revolutionary tech with the desire to create meaningful impact in people's lives in a positive and healthy way. Thanks for describing that. I think it's so important what you said about optimizing people's well-being or keeping that in mind at the forefront of creating technology because it's it's really supposed to be for us to help us. I think, especially in this conversation of the intersection of spirituality and technology, a lot of spiritual folks might think, let's just stay away from all technology because technology is bad and spirituality is good. And I'm trying to sort of debunk that in this podcast where we can learn how to coexist as spiritual beings with technology. So I think if we start to think about especially the people that are creating technologies, having well-being as the intention of creating the tech, then we can create a future and a world that is more positive for all of us. I absolutely agree. And one of my favorite things to talk about when I am talking about transformative technology is, is exactly what you said, which is, you know, technology is not going away. And we can choose to ignore it or we can choose to embrace it. And I think it's important to recognize that the technologies that we see today are different from the technologies back in the day, but technology has been around for centuries and it's just looked very different. And it's always been designed to connect us more deeply with ourselves and with the world around us. So I think we forget that that is like first and foremost why technology in the first place was created. And I think if we can return to this notion that it is a tool for us to be able to connect more deeply rather than disconnect from ourselves and the world around us, that we can begin to shift our perspective of technology back to its original intention. I absolutely agree because that's that's the reality right like it is not going away we don't go backwards in this life a lot of us experienced a lot of nostalgia especially those of us who grew up sort of without very invasive tech 
kids, teenagers nowadays are growing up navigating a completely different space. But we can't just say, oh, we wish it didn't exist or let's just not give our kids phones at all. I mean, maybe, but it could be more useful to, as you said, embrace it. I was just gonna, I just want to like call out um, my dear friend Amy Blankson, who actually is a is a very famous positive psychologist and wrote a really phenomenal book called The Future of Happiness. And she really, really like dives deeply into this notion that we're speaking about around the fact that, you know, technology is really improving our productivity and efficiency and communications. But one thing that has become clear is that in many ways it isn't making us happier. So historically, you know, we are experiencing high levels of depression and dissatisfaction. But I think what Amy really points out and what I'm a big proponent of is that this is something that we can change. We are like in the driver's seat here. And I think that, again, knowing that technology isn't going anywhere uh, and will continue to evolve, we need to really, really think about how we want to navigate the future of designing and creating these technologies. And I think that's where we can come back to our conversation about transformative technology. Because if we realize that we are the creators of tech and we determine the direction that technology goes and the way that it impacts our lives, if we have the intention to make sure that the tech that we are designing is for our well-being and for our transformation, that we can really exponentially grow and evolve both in our happiness and our well-being, but also in our productivity and efficiency and ways of communicating globally. That is 100% true. And I often think about what is the mindset and the intention of the creators of the technology? Because it's, it's actually kind of a small group of people, for the most part, that are creating these technologies that are impacting billions of people. So we have to, with, like, with anything, go into it with the intention of offering happiness and peace and well-being to all. If we're getting caught up in how much revenue is this bringing me and we're exploiting people's attention and happiness, which we've seen particularly through social media, then that's not going to end up being good for humanity as a whole. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of all of this, you mentioned that technology from the past all the way to now has always been about strengthening our connection to ourselves and the world around us. And I wanted to ask you a bit about this idea of connection and what you think it means to connect, especially in this digital age. Such an important question right now. And I think that ultimately we as human beings are creatures of connection. I think that's becoming incredibly, incredibly apparent right now when we are living in a time where we are unable to connect in person with people. And I think the fact that because of what is happening globally now due to the coronavirus, we're realizing that we need others and we can't take that for granted anymore. And I think it's been really, really incredible and beautiful to watch how the world has embraced this acknowledgement of the need for connection and technology has 
has and is leading the charge in terms of fostering connections, even when we cannot actually be together. If there was any time to embrace technology, it is now. And I know it's a slippery slope because I, you know, just to give you a little perspective about my life, I'm a teacher and I go from place to place. So I live in New York City and I take the subway four to eight times a day, depending on what I'm doing normally, right? And so obviously at the end of a lot of days, I'm very tired. Nowadays, my teaching has shifted to be mostly online. And there are some days that I feel more tired than I did when I was running around on the subway. It can be a slippery slope into into burnout and that kind of stuff. But that being said, the opportunities for connection are so much greater, particularly in this world of isolation that we're, that we're really living in right now. I wanted to ask you, can you describe a bit about your personal relationship to technology? I would love to. I, first of all, would love to just comment on what you said, which is I am, you know, a, a lifelong huge proponent of gatherings and have, you know, attended and supported and run a plethora of in-person experiences for connection. And I think that, you know, as much as I'm so happy that we're seeing these rapid transformations of the way technology can be used for connection, I also think that that alone is not enough. I think you really need that that one-on-one, that felt sense um, and that tangible real-world connection with people, along with the fact that I think what is happening now is going to transform the way that we are able to connect online. And the one thing that makes me very happy is I think that this will enable uh, experiences that are happening in person to hopefully also be shared online for those who are not able to access those in-person opportunities, whether that's because of their geography where they live or whether that's because of their their financial and economic circumstance. I think that the combination of in-person and online opportunities uh, that we're going to see is very, very exciting for international and inclusive connection potential. So with that, uh, I'd love to speak about my use of technology. Considering that uh, I did work for a transformative technology company and was able to see the benefits, um, my perspective and use of technology for connection really, really changed when I started working with Muse. Prior to working with them, I was actually like really, really not a proponent of technology. So it was wonderful for me to have the experience of completely shifting my mindset around it because of my own use of the product. So I do constantly use uh, meditation applications, not only Muse's, but also, you know, Calm and Headspace, two other incredible apps. I also personally struggle a little bit with sleep. And so I also use a really interesting uh, app called Sleep Cycle that um, records your sleep and gives you uh, insight into your sleep quality. Um, I'm also, I'm a lover of um, online events. And so personally, I actually, uh, with the get together, the company that I founded, we started for, you know, five years exclusively doing in-person retreats and gatherings. 
However, we actually, about a year and a half ago, we launched an, our online events platform, which has really, really actually helped to serve the broader purpose and mission of the get together, which is to celebrate and elevate the voices of those who identify as women. So our core proposition for the business is actually a concept um, I call wisdom sharing, which is defined as an act of inspired contribution enacted through sharing of one's passions, knowledge, or skill sets within a supportive community. And what I found is, you know, at our gatherings, we would invite every single participant to offer a wisdom share. And that could look like a workshop, it could look like an art project, it could look like a live performance, or it could look like volunteering. If, you know, being seen and heard and standing up on a stage or hosting a workshop is not your way of being acknowledged. And it's been really powerful to go from, you know, seeing how transformative that is in an in-person setting to being able to help people to step into that passion and that wisdom online, which actually allows them to gain much more exposure and to practice being seen and heard to a larger audience, which of course becomes applicable when you are offering something online and you can reach everyone who has access to the internet. It's amazing that you, as you mentioned before, have embraced the technology to continue to advance your mission. And there's some things that can't be done. Like my husband takes photographs. You can't really take photographs via Zoom, right? Yes. And stuff like that, right? But there's certain things that you can do online. And yes, there might be a little bit of a loss because there is something to be said about being in a room of people and the vibrations that you get. But for the circumstances that we're in, to be able to embrace the technology, you can still share an act of inspired contribution online. You can still be a participant of a community online. And I think that's what we're seeing. I love just to address your own use. It sounds like you have used tech to strengthen your awareness to your own well-being, which I think is a really great way to use it. I think there are so many apps and and different types of technologies, not even just with the phone, but in your house and different types of things that can help you be well. And that's, again, the whole point. And just to have that acknowledgement of what applications or what types of technologies are aiding in my own well-being and happiness and which are taking away from that. Do you have any experiences with technology that may not serve you? Definitely. You know, I am on Instagram a little more than I would like to be. Yeah. <laughs> and- <laughs> I think we all are, right? If we have it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I think that I definitely, especially right now, like with doing a lot of consulting work, I really am just like heads down on my computer a lot. And I, I agree with your uh, feeling that sometimes you you end a day like that and you, you feel exhausted. And I think that that's where there's a really important need to balance, you know, focusing and being present with people and with your work on your computer and online and also just going outside, you know, even if you can't go for a walk, just like stepping outside and breathing the fresh air and giving yourself some time to actually process. Because I think often what happens when people are utilizing technology is 
they are focused on, you know, paying attention to the connection or doing work online or reading or engaging with something that is outside of themselves. And I think that we need to ensure that, you know, throughout our day, we are stepping away from focusing on the external and taking moments to really focus on the internal and to process and to, to really reflect on what is going on in our lives and, and utilize that to then fuel our work and our, and our future connections currently online. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a really important point. And it, it sort of goes back to the philosophy of filling up your own cup and with so much output, like being on the computer is output, even if in your body you're just sitting there, right? It's still a lot of mental energy. And as you said, focus attention on, on somebody else or just getting the work done, even sending an email, it's a lot. We have to practice just rest and not doing because that's how we recharge our batteries. We have to just leave ourselves alone or go into these experiences, as you mentioned, like in nature or other spiritual practices that are energy increasers or that fill up your cup. Definitely. That being said, can you talk about your personal spiritual path and how spirituality plays a role in your life currently? I would love to. I definitely feel like spirituality has been such a driving force and important facet of my life thus far. And it's interesting because I actually grew up um, Jewish and, you know, had a bat mitzvah and went to Hebrew school for my younger years. But the truth of the matter is, is that I never really connected with uh, Judaism. And and so it's interesting that I should find myself now being such a proponent of spirituality because I think that what I realized was, you know, later on in my life when I actually studied psychology at McGill University, I actually decided to um, attend one class um, for fourth year students in uh, Zen Buddhism. And I don't know what called me to attend this class, but I walked in and I just immediately became intrigued with the polytheistic religion of, of Buddhism and how different it was to my experience with, with Judaism. And I think that now in later years, I can acknowledge that Judaism is such an incredibly beautiful um, religion and that there are many, many spiritual elements that I connect to. But yeah, my, my, my interest in, I guess I would say spirituality, which I think is quite different than religion, came out of uh, learning about Buddhism and then actually beginning to practice meditation. So for me, it was more the experience of practice of the tools and techniques that were derived from religion that helped me to cultivate my spirituality. And the first time that I ever actually practiced meditation was when I was completing my degree uh, at McGill. And I actually learned about a community in India called Oroville, which is the largest eco-collective uh, in the world. It's a UNESCO-funded um, project in India that's home to 5,000 permanent residents from 80 nationalities around the world. And it really is designed as a spiritual community that welcomes anyone from any spiritual and or religious background that wants to come and live together and exchange ideas and practices. And I just decided upon hearing about this community that it would be my goal to go and volunteer there. So 
uh, fast forward a year later, I found myself there. I was volunteering for a women's empowerment organization called Ecofem. And because I was a volunteer, I was actually invited to do a yoga teacher training uh, for free while I was there. And during that experience, I, I not only practiced yoga literally for the second time in my life, but I also, part of that training was Tai Chi and meditation. And it was through actually developing a consistent practice that was derived from these spiritual traditions that I fell in love with spirituality and the realization that, you know, I, I personally believe we are, we are all interconnected and there's so much more to this existence than the material world that we perceive in our day-to-day lives. That's such a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the journey has, the journey has really expanded beyond then. Um, you know, I, I spent about nine months traveling through India and Nepal and Indonesia and Tanzania, really pursuing this newfound passion at that time for spiritual traditions from sort of different countries and around the world. And I came back after that journey and I, I founded my first company called The Airy Collective uh, with two other wonderful women uh, named Elle and Claire Bourgeois. And it really was the foundations of what has become the get together, which was, you know, through my own realization of the importance of, you know, these spiritually derived practices amidst community, it really was the root of wanting to create the Aerie Collective, which was similar, was retreats for those who identify as women to really connect to themselves, to whatever spirituality meant to them. And then to, to apply that, you know, sort of self-perception to their interactions in the world and the ways that they wanted to contribute to society. And finally, I will say that, you know, Prayer and I, you and I met actually attending Columbia University for a master's in clinical psychology with a concentration in mind-body spirituality. So that was, you know, after really developing sort of this interest in the intersections between science, psychology, and spirituality that led me to that program and to meeting you and finding ourselves on this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. As you said, it's, it's a curiosity about science, meeting psychology, for me also meeting technology sounds like for you as well and meeting spirituality and how it all meshes and flows together. And we can talk about quantum physics and neuroscience, and we can talk about the power of prayer and healing. And it's just all beautiful. Absolutely. You know, at least for me, when I say spirituality, you know, my, my roots do come from, you know, I guess what the traditional definition of that would, would be. Um, but I think spirituality can really be anything that that involves feeling like you are connected to something greater than yourself and that could literally just be you know humanity at large that could be the earth that could be the universe or that could be you know for some people a, a higher power that they feel governs their existence which personally is not is not necessarily my belief but i think you know it's just it's just about feeling as though your existence means more than, than just your lived experience, that you are a part of something greater. Yeah. It's, it's not in, in a box like a one-size-fits-all, and it's different from religion, even though they can intersect and inform one another. I, I want to talk to you about, and you have inspired me so much just in our time together at school. One of the things that you say, one of your mottos, is you are enough. 
And you've said that to me and you've said that to our group and you, you, it's your tagline on your Instagram. <laughs> Can you just <laughs> talk about this idea of enoughness and what you mm. think that means? Definitely. <laughs> As you know, this is something that I am incredibly passionate about. And I think that the first place to start is that I feel that we are living in a time where people are experiencing a crisis of enoughness. I think that, you know, and this is where it's interesting to link technology because I think technology has, you know, so much potential to benefit us. But I also think that it is, it is propagating this crisis in the sense that, you know, people are spending more time experiencing others through these curated personas of self rather than with actual people. And I think that what that is doing is it's causing people to believe that everyone else is living a certain type of life that they may not be good enough to also like live. And the truth is, is that when you really actually then talk to people and you have, you know, real authentic, vulnerable conversations, you very quickly realize that the vast majority of people, even if they are one of those people presenting themselves as living these so-called perfect lives, that, that they also feel like they are not enough. And I think that it's so important for us to, to really be having these conversations about, you know, our actual lived experiences and our vulnerabilities and our challenges, because every single person is human and everyone, though, you know, experiences are relative, we all are challenged. But at the same time, my personal belief is that just by existing, you are enough. You don't, you don't need to be other than you are. And of course, you know, that is paired with, you know, we all, we all have ways in which we know that we could be maybe healthier or things that we do want to improve about ourselves or knowledge that we want to gain. And I think that that is beautiful. But I think before even beginning to step down that path of improvement, it's for the first and foremost, it's important to believe that regardless of whatever it is you're going to achieve or do in your life, that just by existing, you are enough and you are, you are perfect as you are and you are lovable and you are whole. And if I think if you start from that place of self-love, really, then everything you do is going to be like expedited. It's going to be exponentially um, more impactful to you because you're not coming from a perspective of lack or being less than you're coming from a perspective of I am already enough, but I also can be an even better version of myself. And I think that can be sometimes hard for people because they might've had, you know, past experiences that have made them feel like they are not Mm. enough or they are not worthy of love and belonging. Yeah. I think that Another way to sort of tie in meditation again is that, you know, we often forget that the past is over and the future has not happened yet. And so in every single moment that we are living, that is our opportunity 
to be reborn and to recreate our sense of self. And I think that we need to learn how to be present with ourselves in each moment so that we can create the futures that we want to see for ourselves and for the world. And so I, I really encourage anyone who might be feeling like they are not enough to utilize meditation as an opportunity to you know, process what has happened, but also to let it go and to realize that you can create the future that you wanna see for yourself and for your family and for your friends and for this planet. Thank you. I think I needed to hear that and everybody needs to hear this. We are enough. And it doesn't mean that just because I'm enough, then I don't have to do anything, right? We yeah. still have we still have to do the work. And I mean, ideally inspire others and be compassionate towards others and lend a helping hand. But as you mentioned, coming into it from a place of enoughness is the mm -hmm. way that we can really, I think, touch empowerment, mm -hmm. which is also what I wanted to ask you about because of so much of the work, all the work that you do really is, is about empowering others, particularly women, but all beings. What do you think empowerment means and how do we practice empowering one another in this digital age? My personal perspective is that empowerment is essentially something that you can only experience for yourself. But the key to empowering is to show up in every interaction with full acceptance of someone else. And if you show up from that place where, you know, you are in any interaction, you are, you are just arriving, seeing the best in whomever that person is, even if you've never met them before, and, and trying to create an environment in which you allow them to be seen and heard for exactly who they are. I believe that that is the most beneficial way to empower others. And also if you show up in that way, if you, if you show up as your most vulnerable self, you know, not trying to be someone, just, just being who you are. Also that, that is the best way to emp empower someone else. Because back to my original point, you know, you can't actually do the empowering. The other person needs to, needs to feel empowered so that they can be empowered. But by practicing essentially what you preach, by, by being who you are, you're giving other people permission to be who they are. And I think at the root of empowerment, that is the core of what empowerment is. It's, it's feeling empowered to be who you are. Thank you. I And I'll thank you specifically because I have felt empowered in your presence because you show up in the world as you are, which Aww. has made me feel comfortable to use my voice and, and show up as how I am. So thank you for inspiring me. Aww. I know we're, we're coming towards the end here, and I always want to talk to guests on this podcast really about what the future looks like because there's so much out there that is is really hard to swallow and especially with this coronavirus pandemic so many of our systems are just destroyed right now 
and I've addressed this in previous episodes, that we're at a place where we have to have a lot of awareness about who we used to be and where we want to go now and what are the actionable steps that we need to take now. The core question of this podcast is how do we exist as spiritual beings together with technology now and as we progress into the future? Such a beautiful question. I see a positive future for the planet. I really do. And I think that anybody who resides, you know, in a place of like the world is ending kind of mentality, I just don't think that's a productive mindset to be in because I think that what we need to be doing right now is not shying away from all of the challenges that we face as a society and that this planet is facing. I think we have to actually, speaking to my last point about vulnerability, we got to get very real about where we are at right now. And I think from that place of acknowledgement, of true acknowledgement, of looking into the face of the challenges that we all face, which are very immense, becomes a really, really beautiful opportunity to then focus on the solutions. And I think that that's where it's important to, to bring in spiritual leaders, you know, those that have a heightened sense of interconnection, of feeling, you know, and really creating models and frameworks for how we can coexist as a human race with this beautiful planet and in the universe. I think we need to bring those people in alignment with political leaders, with, you know, environmental activists and scientists and researchers, and then with technology and technologists and engineers. I think that it's now more than ever more important that we capitalize and utilize the incredible talents and skills and philosophies that individuals have created and and are interested in on the planet right now to come together and come up with these solutions. Because I do not think there's going to be a one-size-fits-all solution for the many challenges that we face. But I do believe that if we unite those at the forefront of all of these different industries and all of these different ideologies, that we absolutely can find solutions to save the world and save ourselves. I agree with you. One of the skills as humans that we have always had is the ability to band together and take collective action. And while technology in these past 10 or so years, particularly with social media and media in general, while that's been very separating in nature, it has caused a lot of division. I think this pandemic has put perspective on the fact that we are all one humanity. We are all living on this one planet that's all of our homes. And we have to step up, as you said, we have to self-realize, we have to be very aware and vulnerable, and then take all of our individual strengths because we are all enough and we all have a little bit of what it takes. And when we put it together, we can take collective action to create a more peaceful and sustainable world, hopefully internally in each and every one of us and, and externally on, on this whole planet. You just, you just actually brought up such a, an interesting topic. Um, one of the things I feel like that people criticize a lot about spiritual rhetoric 
is actually exactly that statement. We are one. And I think that because oftentimes in the past, um, there has been a lot of, you know, spiritual rhetoric that did deny, you know, our differences. And I think that it's so important to realize that, you know, we are all human beings living on this planet and we have a shared experience. And I think what's fascinating about what you said with coronavirus is that, you know, even for me, you know, some of my incredible role models in my life who have had thriving businesses, you know, their, their businesses have just ended overnight. What coronavirus has done is it has shown us that even though we are all at different stages and, you know, we see these people uh, with these like so-called perfect lives on social media who have these thriving companies, that there are certain aspects of our existence collectively as human beings that affect everybody. And I think that it's a really interesting thing to think about when, you know, on the one hand, there are so many differences that need to be celebrated and the ways that, you know, coronavirus is impacting people around the world is incredibly different. And, you know, that has a lot to do with economics and again, geography, where you live, how governments are dealing with this situation. But at the same time, we're also all having a shared experience. And I think that it's, a, it's an interesting way to really recognize our, our oneness, in a sense, while simultaneously acknowledging our differences. Yeah, thank you for, for bringing that up. And of course, there's a lot of us that are dealing with this on so many different levels. And, you know, we, we're not trying to like rank people's suffering and all these types of things. But at the core, it's sort of like we can be separate from our political views to whatever the case may be. But when an alien comes to our planet, we're all humans and there's an alien, right? And that's sort of like what the virus is. It's this foreign object, foreign to humans that is threatening us. So we as a human species has to band together. And unfortunately, it has taken this for us to realize again that Mm -hmm idea of we're humans and earth is our home right and that's just like the simplicity of it yeah and to tie that back to meditation since that was where we kind of started yeah I, i do think to your point you know it's unfortunate that i think a lot of our our human nature is reactive rather than responsive in the sense that you know it's we need to move now into a place where we are thinking about like preventative scenarios and preventative medicine essentially for the planet um, and for our our existence uh, as human beings on this planet. And I think it's not our nature. I think very often we are, we are reacting to situations as they, they occur rather than thinking about what could be and taking action now, even though it might be taking away from things that could be, you know, bringing in revenue or creating growth in this moment. But I think that one of the most important things is that, you know, with meditation, it really helps you to develop this sense of awareness and to really process, you know, from this place of stillness that you derive from your practice, you, you're able to, to process what, what you want, you know, what future do you want? Like, what do you want things to look like? And to really begin to map out your life from a responsive place rather than a reactive place. So I would hope that, you know, again, as we, as we all move forward from this, 
that more transformative technologies and other other tech that that people are using that we really tap into those to help us to to move forward and to think more about how we can better the future before bad things continue to happen. I absolutely agree. The last thing I'll say is that I do have another practice that I love because I actually, interestingly enough, I am someone that struggles sometimes to, to just sit with myself. And I actually can find that it can be as helpful, if not more helpful for me to practice like a movement meditation, which I think, you know, to me, there isn't necessarily a hierarchy of meditation. I think many things can be a meditation. They just need to be, um, you know, practices and techniques that are getting you in touch with yourself in the present moment. And so one of the things that I like to do almost every day is I will make a playlist of three songs. And the first song, I will just stretch. I will be focused on my breathing while I'm doing some stretches. The second song, I actually shake. Um, shaking, there's a lot of research that actually shows that shaking is a really, really, really beneficial for your nervous system. And so you just, you know, literally shake your whole body, start with your hands, your shoulders, you'll bring it down into your hips and your legs. Um, and you really just want to get the blood flowing in your body, increasing your heart rate variability, which will reduce stress in the body. And then the last song is just stillness. And so I'll put a quiet song on and I'll, I'll actually just stand in place in a, like a power stance and just focus on my breath and, and feeling my body that now, you know, you'll hear your heart beating and you'll feel that you've um, increased your body temperature and just paying attention to how shaking things up in the body has shifted the way that I feel. So I feel like I just love to leave that as a fun practice that, you know, for those of you that might have tried meditation, seated meditation in the past and want to try something a little different, that uh, I encourage you to give that a try. That's an incredible practice. I'm, I'm definitely going to try that because music and sound vibrations have aided me tremendously as well in, in spiritual practice. And, and as you said, moving the body just in and of itself, especially these days if we're sitting at home a lot, um, is so integral to our, our well-being as well. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. And will you just let us know where people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me personally at Laura Sunflower on Instagram. Beautiful. And you can find the get together if you're interested in participating in any of our online initiatives and hopefully down the road in person as well. Uh, you can find us at, um, at the.get.together. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being on the show, Laura. I wish you a lot of safety and health and, and peace, especially during this time, but always. And it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. I think that what this podcast and what your work is promoting in the world is so, so essential and so needed. So very grateful to have you as a friend, as well as to be able to, to join you today and to share some thoughts and perspectives. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your time and attention. If you're liking the show, please do subscribe. And if you're able, please leave a review. It helps more listeners be connected to Technically Spiritual. To find out more, visit technicallyspiritual.com. You can find the show notes and upcoming offerings. 
We're on social media at technically.spiritual on Instagram and at techspiritpod on Twitter. Feel free to connect with us at any time. Thanks again for being here and talk to you next time.